Welcome to episode five of the Women's Sport Podcast, uh, following on from our challenge event episode, and a massive shout out to Ruth from House of Sport, who has completed an insane challenge in the Azores, and I think she ran 260 kilometers, and climbed up and down some stuff and I saw her today and she seems to be in a lot of pain but it hasn't put her off because she's going to do another challenge. Um, So this week's episode, this month's episode is really focusing on two organisations who are doing things a little bit differently in order to reach girls who traditionally maybe wouldn't have engaged in sport and when we look at some of the statistics especially Sport England Active Lives and things like that South Asian women and girls are some of the lowest participating in in the population across the whole of the UK. And that's something that is definitely, you know, hopefully being tackled and challenged and improved, but there's definitely, you know, ways that it could be it could be done better. So today we've got two women who I'm gonna let introduce themselves. Um, so Suhaima, if you want to kick things off, just tell sure, us a little yeah. bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so yeah, I'm Suhaima from um, a charity called Maslaha and we run a project called Muslim Girls Fence. Muslim Girls Fence is basically a collaboration with British fencing. So it's quite, a, I guess, an unexpected partnership um, in the sense that we are generally a charity that work on challenging conditions of inequality that face Muslim communities in the UK. And the British fencing obviously are focused on fencing. Um, and we came together on this project because they wanted to kind of improve engagement when it comes to fencing. Um, and for us, we thought it would be really interesting to use fencing um, as kind of like a vessel to see how we could make spaces that cater specifically to Muslim girls engaging with sport. Um, so basically the way that it works is that we do fencing but we also do creative activities and for us fencing was really appealing because if you think about it it's a sport that uh, actually doesn't require any kind of uniform that would be uncomfortable for a lot of Muslim women so you can wear as many clothes as you want essentially. Um, even the mask itself there's like a lot of anonymity in that. Um, it's a non-contact sport, um, um, you know. If you if you have a female coach or whatever, it's like there's no reason for it to be um, kind of un- uncomfortable for for any anybody to get involved as a woman. Um, so yeah, so for us, it's been really interesting to see how, what what it's like to create those spaces, and we use creative activities as well. So we do a lot of um, almost, I guess you'd say, like arts and crafts kind of stuff um, in the session as well, which I think for a lot of people is confusing, <laughs> but it's because. Fencing is actually a really expressive sport. It's very much about like you can have your own style. You could be very bouncy. You could be really defensive. You could be really like bold. Um, and we kind of pitch it as like it's a, as much about physical expression as it is about creative expression. And for us, actually, the sport on its own wouldn't be enough. And it's like the the reason that the project works. And I guess we'll talk about this more throughout today um, is because you have both elements, and therefore it's this space that Muslim women can come together and it's very deliberately centering Muslim women um, come together and talk about um, and discuss and express themselves in ways they can't otherwise and um, for a multitude of reasons which I'm sure we'll discuss but yeah that's the basics of the project. I think it's really interesting because one of the things we've looked at in our teenage girls work which came out in April this year is all about you know what are girls looking for beyond the actual physical yeah. activity and tying something to you know arts and crafts creativity mm. is a really exciting thing because traditionally you wouldn't imagine right. that. And all of the work we've done has told us that girls 
girls really understand why they should be doing sport. They don't 100%. need to be told that it's healthy and good for them. They've been told that a million mm-hmm. times. But they want to have fun at the end of the day. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be about running around. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really interesting that you guys have kind of put a focus on that as well. Um, Amna, tell us a little bit about um, your project. Firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, 260 kilometres, you said, um, the woman run. Oh, yeah, mad. I've signed myself up for the 10K wolf run, and I'm literally training right now for it, and there's six months left, so I can only imagine. So you could do that 26 times, potentially. (laughs) I don't think I'd ever get to that level, but hats off to her. Um, So I'm actually co-founder of Girl Dreamer, which is a non-profit... empowerment platform for millennial and gen z women of color so we're physically based in birmingham but we're a a digital platform so we have an audience from all over the world um and this year we've opened up our initiatives to women all over the the uk sorry um one of our most popular initiatives is borders without borders which is um, us using sport as a tool for social change uh, we set this up in 2017 um, and it was off the back of me watching youtube videos of boys in California longboarding um, and I was confused at first because I was like what is longboarding and why do they look so cool and <laughs> you know and California itself looks so cool because it's just palm trees blue skies and like sandy colored buildings mm. and like the beach um, and I'm drawn to that anyway um, so sitting in my very Birmingham British weathered bedroom um, looking out the window thinking how can I bring this concept to here because realistically I, I couldn't see myself constantly going to California. I've never been before. Um, I'm hoping to go one day. Um, But I really felt so strongly about trying this sport. So I ordered a longboard. I had no idea what I was doing. And then it came and I unboxed it, went to the park and fell off the board instantly. And I was like, oh God, like this is embarrassing. Mm. I don't want to do it. Um, But then I I also wanted to, um, but I wanted someone around me. I wanted a community of women and people like me who were like okay let's try this thing together um and then through girl dreamer we had scope and we thought if we put in a bid for this like if we uh, you know approach some funders and stuff and kind of pitch it to them and see how they feel about us doing something like this in the community because i think with birmingham it's interesting it's the second city but personally for me I feel like there's not enough going on there for young people it's always kind of spoken about as the youngest city in Europe which you know shocks me because it's like wow in the whole of Europe we're the youngest city but if you kind of I don't know if you've visited before but it's I don't feel like it's got enough to offer that it's young people so anyway we put in a bid we got we we won it um started the initiative it went off really well uh we were oversubscribed and now I think we're going into the fourth year um, this year we actually ran a crowdfunder um, to raise money and to launch our campaign around Borders Without Borders called um, Hashtag 220 by 2020, which looks at getting 220 women of colour into adventure sports by 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've actually branched out of longboarding and um, looking at surfing and snowboarding now as well as other board sports. And I think um, connecting it to what Sahima said about um, uniform, it's such an amazing thing because we, across all those three board sports for our women, that they come from such a variety of backgrounds because we open it to women of colour. Um, we have women who don't want to show their body because of their own personal self-confidence reasons, because of religious reasons, because of just they don't, it's too cold, which mm-hmm. I would be that person. <laughs> um, and I think with the wetsuit, 
the, the whole snowboarding suit and like having the choice to wear anything was longboarding, it works out really perfectly. So it's been going really well actually. And so, Hami, you sort of touched on this, but what are some of the challenges that you have faced in terms of getting the girls to come, getting the parental support, finding venues, finding mm. funding? Like, how, yeah, what yeah. are the difficulties? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think to speak to that question, I, I would just I wanted to comment on something Amna was saying, which is like, what your project shows to me is something that we see again and again, which is that there is no lack of appetite for like even extreme sports, you know what I mean? Like girls want to do all sorts of things. And I think sometimes when we talk about challenges and engaging um, Muslim girls specifically on the projects we do, um, I think a lot of sports organizations make the mistake of assuming that the the kind of barrier is like internal to Muslim girls. So it's this, you often get a lot of language around like they just need more confidence, um, we kind of like aspiration raising, that kind of thing. Um, but what we find, and it's you know in these conversations around actually they're like so eager to do this this kind of stuff, is actually the fact that nobody has made it convenient and welcoming and accessible, um, and that's exactly what I guess Borders Without Borders does. And so for us, when it, when you talk about challenges, I mean, if I just give you an example of one of the projects that we've run recently in a school, we run it in the school, right? So we actually partner with a school, and the reason I emphasise that is that if you take the context of today's Britain, um, for a lot of like uh, parents and, and kids, uh, you know, Muslims in this country, I think it's 48% live in the top 10% most deprived areas in the UK. So you're not really going to be likely to be able to fish out uh, even a couple of pounds to go to some after school activity or like join a sports club or something like that. Um, or it's unlikely to be a priority, basically. Um, and so I think we've got to remember that sport is usually going to be at the bottom of the list of things because and in general, sport isn't you know, really valued in the way it should be. But because of that, working with schools as the venue is really, really important because kids are already at school <laughs> in the daytime, right? There's nowhere yeah, extra they've got to go. Right, right. <laughs> so there's nowhere extra they've got to go. Um, their parents can trust. They're in a safe place. They're going to have teachers around them that they know. Um, there's kind of no chance of like, I don't know, any of the concerns that you might have about kids walking home on their own or whatever. You know, parents have all sorts of different concerns. We don't know where your school is. Um, and there's also, if you, I, I mean. Sometimes it sounds really basic, but it's like if you just have to go through the thought process, right? Fencing in particular is just such like a traditionally elite sport. The generally what you have is a fencing club. Um, so first off, you're going to have to buy some kit. Um, you're going to have to be able to drop your child off to that place, pick them up again. Now, say you've got working parents. Say you've got no money for kit. We try to think about all these things, and so working with a school is the first step. The second step is we provide everything free of, of charge, um, including the kit, um, and then. Uh, we, we also try and have a lot of conversations, so even from week one, when I was talking about discussion and creativity, we try and have discussions about, so who do, you, like, who do you guys imagine as fencers? Like, who are fencers to you? What do you know about fencing? And they'll often bring up a lot of the stereotypes about fencers, which is, you know, very fair. And then we say, okay, so by you fencing, you know, what kind of stereotypes do you think you're breaking? And then we kind of realise it's not just the stereotype of fencers that are being broken, but also of Muslim girls, um, of girls of colour, of girls. Um, and that conversation is really important to have in week one, because what it tends to do is, I think, create a safe space. And this is something that is really important to us, because when we talk about challenges, often it's the things that we just miss because we're not asking girls what they want. And so that might be, um, from a coaching perspective, just having a coach who isn't necessarily aware of certain things um, that may be sensitive or that may be 
uncomfortable for girls. Uh, and that, I mean, I, if I think about even myself at MP at school, um, or doing trying to, trying to do extracurricular sports stuff, even little tiny things like, do I feel comfortable enough with this coach to um, kind of explain that I'm going to be, I'm going to like wear tracksuit bottoms rather than shorts? Is that cool? And I don't, and I don't want to be hyperphysical. If you think about it. And this comes up all the time actually in our workshops. Girls already have so many body image issues, right? Like at that age especially. And you particularly don't want to be hyper-visible um, by then also being like, I'm going to be wearing a hijab or I'm going to be like wearing my long, you know, trackies and, and, and long sleeve top. Um, but on top of that, in a context, especially in, with girls in schools, you know, um, with something like the prevent duty, which is government legislation upon all public bodies to look out for these signs of radicalization. And we know through kind of um, government and stuff that it's it's disproportionately affects Muslims and it means that you know Muslim students at schools are reported I think it's thirty percent of prevent referrals are of children under the age of fifteen but in that context then being a Muslim child at school being a Muslim girl you're already sort of hyper visible so do you really want to be that person who then goes to sport and you say to your coach oh is there somewhere that I could like just pray really quickly that's you just feel so awkward and uncomfortable so. Yeah, in that conversation around challenges, it's things like that. Like, really, you know, are we making it super comfortable, super open? And for us, therefore, the creative thing, genuinely, I can't express how important that is, having a space to discuss, having a coach that understands these issues. We've worked really hard with British Fencing to kind of have these discussions, um, and they've been so open to it, which is fantastic, um, but also to create, like, a joint coaching course where not only do we have the fencing elements, but we have these kind of questions that we want to raise in each session um, and that kind of thing so yeah the ch there are challenges but I think the challenges are much almost like it, we need to strip back to like the very very basic thought process that it takes for a young girl um, and I think and Amna, I'm sure you kind of have come across similar things but it's like often when I think people think about engaging girls we have this very like homogenized idea of like who a girl is and it's generally like I'd say fairly middle-class white girls um, and in that analysis, then we don't really think about these extra, you know, challenges that you are going to face as, as a girl of colour. If you're, you know, even I mean, we know right now. I was watching something the other day, which is so sad about like, you know, kids who are going to school hungry, coming home hungry. I mean, in a context where child poverty is so high, again, like that's a genuine barrier. Like that's something that we as sports providers also have to think about. Amna, do you think more like bigger organisations are sort of starting to? see this and, and open themselves up and take on some of what you know more community groups have been doing probably for decades i want to say yes <laughs> um so yeah i think they are i think they're very open to the idea of it now as as opposed to like maybe 15 years ago um and i think a lot of that is to do with social media and the presence it has as well people are really um talking about things that matter like using their own platforms whether it's Instagram Twitter YouTube like people young people are really claiming back that power mm -hmm. and taking it to the, upon themselves to be like I'm not okay with this bigger people are, have the power like how can they kind of distribute that out and really put the change where it needs to be how can we connect how can we build those bridges and I think with Girl Dreamer we like to think of ourselves as sitting in the middle between communities and brands, organisations and companies because what we find is with our work is when we first started like four years ago it was very about the community like opening out our our like conversation, engagement, holding spaces and platforms for women to physically come and like have a have a gathering with us. Um, and so many women came together and then as we were building these women through our like leadership retreats and like workshops and all sorts, um, when we kind of got our first consulting gig, we realised that actually the, the companies who hold the power have no idea that this is going on. And 
they're so far away from what we're building up the girls to be so that when the girls are ready to now go into these spaces the spaces aren't ready for mm. them and I think that's a challenge as well and I think when we reach out to to whether it's vendors whether it's like we want to collaborate with like a brand like um, a sports company or something it's like they do want to do something to change and they want to partner up with local grassroots organizations but it's for for us specifically out live, living outside of london it's like if you don't live in london you're kind of you're missed um and it's like you're you're that kid in the class with your hand up you have the answer but it's like oh okay is there anyone else um and it's quite frustrating actually and the amount of trains and hotels that we've booked in london like in the past three years it's been insane i think we might as well get a flat here because mm. literally the opportunities are here and it's difficult because when we attend events and we you know network with someone who works at like this brand or that brand it's like they're really interested but we follow up with like three four emails and there's no response so it's difficult because i feel like they do they do want to do something about it but it's not going to be done if you don't if you're not connecting with the people who are doing the work mm. can i jump on that as well because i think there's you picked up on a really good point as well which is almost like the when when bigger organizations do kind of do these projects I think it becomes very siloed from the other projects. So mm -hmm. what we found is like, we've set up these Muslim Girls Friends projects around, um, and we do it with adults as well, adult women. Um, but what happens is, so say our project finishes, a lot of the women and girls are like, I want to keep fencing, this is amazing. So generally what we do is direct them to the local fencing club and be like, you know, go fence. Um, but we've obviously had a lot of problems with when they have gone there. Unfortunately, it's been the case that they felt super out of place. It was like, this is nothing like what we've been doing. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, even like sort of just been made to feel really uncomfortable in those, in those settings. And so then the question becomes, well, do we have to create like separate fencing clubs for Muslim women or like, and I think that then is proof that the wider kind of environment of sport and, and sports organizations aren't necessarily making those structural changes yeah. and and so for us that's where then y these conversations about you know barriers for girls become really about structural barriers like racism like sexism but all the way up as you're saying to the very top levels of, of these these sectors um so yeah i just i just really agreed with that yeah and are your sort of i guess motivation for for setting up your projects getting involved did that come from a, a personal experience or was it more an observation of you know i i want to do this yeah so i think for for, for with so Maslaha, um, it, I think the project actually set up quite randomly but my interest in getting involved with it and becoming the kind of project manager was that uh, you know, as a, as a visibly Muslim person, um, girl, woman, girl, whatever I am, um, it was really exciting. So I was actually brought onto the project um, to do poetry workshops with the girls initially. Um, and so I was really fascinated by this idea that you would do fencing and then you would do poetry and like how do these things connect? And what I found in, in that process was that these girls had so much to say for themselves, that they had so much to express, that actually both the fencing and, and the poetry, and, and they kind of expressed them some, this themselves, provided a way for them to express themselves on their own terms. And this is something that they are completely deprived of. Um, and these are like 11, 12 year old girls that we work with, right? But they actually know, and it, this actually breaks my heart, but they know in like offhand chats, there'll be, I think we've actually found that every single girl that we've worked with has at some point been called a terrorist by like another student or child or teacher, um, which is really heartbreaking because they're babies, you know what I mean? They're children. Um, but the fact that they have, you think about the way that affect, that would affect your mental health anyway, right? That's going to make you feel pretty withdrawn. You're not really going to engage with school in general. So you're definitely not going to be engaging in something like sport. But by it being a sport where we then go, 
but actually literally express yourself, like talk about yourself. And we have this, we kind of talk about defining themselves on their own terms. Um, do, it was through doing the poetry stuff with them, I, I kind of funnily enough, that I was like, this project is really important because I've not seen anything like it where you, you actually are, it's almost like you're breaking the fourth wall, if I could say that, because I think a lot of uh, sports is kind of like this really, we're giving you, like we're coaching you and you're learning and, and that's it. But I think by being really honest about the process and saying, look, like it is, we, we recognize that there may be things that we don't know at all about your experiences and why don't you tell us what those things are? I think that's really the essential ingredient because what we found a lot, and I think that, and I also think this is why it's important for like Muslim women and, and women of color to actually be involved in those, the delivery itself. Like I think you're missing a trick if you're just trying to provide for girls of color or Muslim girls without having them represented higher up as well. Because what, what we found is that a lot of places, even schools themselves, um, will kind of have these assumptions that, you know, because of Muslim girls' culture, they'll talk about words like culture and tradition, um, which if you think about them are very meaningless terms, right? And I, th I actually think culture and tradition become words that allow us to be quite lazy in our thinking because we just go, the reason that these girls are not engaging in sport is because of culture. And no one has to analyze what that means, right? And so for us, it's really important to go, let's just pretend we don't have those words for a second. And we say, what is it that's stopping you from coming to these places? You know, what's going on? Um, and so I think it's the honesty of the project that really, I found really compelling and wanted to get involved with it for, because it was like, we don't have to, we don't have to pretend that like the political and the personal are separate. Instead, we go into a school and we say, hey, like, what's going on with you guys? Do you want to do sport? They're all like, yes, I want to you know, be a surfer and a longboarder. And recently we were working with Muslim women um, in Whitechapel and they want to do rowing, they want to do wall climbing. And I was like, this is like, people really don't have this perception of Muslim women. They're like, oh no, you know, they, they're kind of reserved. Um, but the truth is they just want a convenient way of doing it and like a really accessible um, space to do it in. So, so yeah, I think it's that that's compelling. It's just the fact that we the project doesn't make assumptions about these girls before engaging with them. And I think if I could give any advice to other organisations, it would be that, like, remove the assumptions before you go in and be really willing to learn from, from local partners, from teachers in the schools, from, um, you know, actually we, we've done work in Birmingham mm -hmm. with, um, uh, w with a, a place called Impact Hub and other places, but what's interesting there is that we didn't know the context at all, so we had to rely on, like, local um, groups and people. And I think people who would never have been seen as experts, right, from bigger sports organisations. But for us, it was like, you're an expert because you're a member of your community, you know what's going on, you know, you know, actually girls are never going to come to something in this venue because no one comes here, even though it's a really cool sports venue, mm. right? But it's like, no, they're, they're actually going to go to this local club where they know that they can get, you know, like, juice and biscuits, right? And, that, and so I think also there's that level of having to do the harder work of kind of thinking outside the box. Because um, I think too, too often we just go, where's the venue, let's deliver. But that's not, like, that's really not being honest, I mm. think. I think for us, uh, great points, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think for us it was um, the lack of representation. Um, when I became really passionate about board sports, um, I've always wanted to, to be a surfer girl with the wet hair and, you know, <laughs> that kind of look. And there was nowhere, especially in the Midlands, like, right. where, you know, where is that going to happen? Um, but it was just an idea, a concept that I would, you know, have on a vision board kind of thing. Um, but then when, when things got serious and we really set this up and we put a call out, out and everything and, you know, we needed some stock images to mm. show on the poster and there was no representation anywhere and I think even growing up seeing all the American cable that I did, I never saw a Pakistani girl or 
any woman of colour who was a surfer walking out of Huntington Beach and, you know, doing, doing mm. that, owning that kind of surfer look or that snowboarding look or anything, um, it wasn't there. And I think that's what became frustrating um, for us was because if you can't see what you want to be, how, how can you be it? How can you become it? Because I think for me, when myself, when I was younger, I was heavily involved in sports and all my role models were women, but they were white. And for me, that wasn't an issue because I was like, wow, you're a woman, I'm a woman, this is great. But I think when I started growing up and, you know, I was like, oh, I really want to take this to a serious level. And my parents were like, but how many other Pakistani girls have done this? You know, we're a bit sceptical. Like, what if this challenge challenge happens? What if that challenge happens? And I think because there was no experience, there wasn't um, another Pakistani Muslim sportswoman who I could go and kind of talk to in my local community. I didn't have that, that knowledge or that advice. Um, and I, not not just that, but I didn't see it reflected in the media. Mm. Um, whether that was magazines I was consuming, TV shows, cartoons, anything. Um, but I think now, like when we've had to make posters or leaflets, we're literally the first people who have, I think, like a memory card full of women of color surfers, mm. and it's so cool. Because I think when we went to Newquay, I'm not even kidding. In the, the the area that we stayed, we were the only people of color. And when we were on the way down to Nika, we were hyping everyone up. We were like, oh my God, we're like two hours away from the beach, one hour away, 30 mm-hmm. minutes, 12. And I think it was so, we're like, wow, we're going to be near the ocean. We're like on the Atlantic, we're on the tip. And then it's like New York is the next kind of part of mm-hmm. the world. And I think when we got there and we were the only people, it's like we were ready, but it's like, were they ready on the receiving end to see people mm-hmm. like us, like a huge group of us? And I think in that moment, it either fuels you as a person of colour or it just kind of knocks your confidence and you kind of go into like a, a hermit crab shell mm. um, and it's difficult but because we do leadership within our sports programmes it, it really instills that like behaviour of like look you are going to be in places where it's going to be uncomfortable but what are you going to do when you get there um, how are you going to take on those challenges and if you and if you keep turning up to those spaces those spaces will eventually change and open up wider allowing more people to come through that are reflective of society in general and I think that was the, the biggest thing for us was the lack of representation. I think also the other thing that you just mentioned that really stands out for me is that that element of community like mm. you and even just like if what you're saying when you're saying that I'm like oh my god I, would, I really want to go surfing and like but the idea of doing that on my own but that, yeah. the, the thing is the idea of doing that on my own is mm. Just utterly like no, that's way too stressful. Like I already know people. People look at me just on the beach not surfing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so imagine surfing. And I think that I I think there's just that thing as well of like you're representing each other within yourselves anyway. Mm. And so like when we do the fencing, we always talk about Ibtihaj Muhammad because she's like Olympic fencer, um, first um, black Muslim woman to to win a medal for fencing in the Olympics. And I think that just that having that image of her as even say, just really one powerful. person That's it. like for me bend it like beckham was the film of like it's still my my <laughs> mis- top film miss congeniality and bend it like beckham are my top <laughs> to go to films but i think bend it like beckham was a massive massive changer for me just seeing one person kind of on that big platform on a billboard mm. meant everything and I think people uh, mentioning what you said as well, being on the beach and standing out. I think when we were doing the call out for surfing, so many people got in touch and said, oh, do I have to wear a bikini? Mm. Because it's all you see. And I was like, actually, you're going to have like gloves, hat, like, and like... Um, a wetsuit because it's freezing mm, in the UK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? But aren't you surfing? Like, is this something else? And I was like, no, you, ha- you have a wetsuit and it's, and it's fully covered. Mm. 
Like you can even have a, like a skull cap kind of thing, and it was just a game changer because so many people don't know this because no one shows a wetsuit on Baywatch or something. It's, <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. But there's something as well just about that sort of dark. I don't know. It's making me think. I remember even just recently, like me at my big age, went to um, Hyde Park, and everybody, those people are rollerblading. I don't know how familiar mm. with uh, Hyde Park. And I was like, that looks so fun. I would love to do that. I love. I used to love rollerblading when I was a kid. Um, and I just went over to a group of people and I was like, oh, you know, is this a cl- is this a group or is this just like, you know, what? And instantly it was just the feel. There was just a feeling of like surprise, like that you would be engaged. Mm. Like, oh, you oh, you want to rollerblade? Oh, yeah. And even something as small as that can put you off. Even as someone who's you know fairly confident yeah. in an adult in the world, it was like, oh, I don't think I feel. You very almost well sink here. back into your mm. body, like, okay, I will not be asking that question again. Right, and and so I think, and it's important to highlight that because it's, it's not a confidence issue. It's kind of the point. It's not an aspirational issue. It's like you literally could be, you could be super confident. You'd be the most confident. And some of these girls are there, like super, yeah. super, <laughs> you know, kind of wild. Um, but you put them in a context where that, where they're boxed, they're immediately stereotyped. There's all these assumptions about them. That's exa- that exhausts anybody. And I think you know, it just breaks my heart that there's girls who are 11, 12, at that kind of age, going through all the difficulties you go anyway, having to deal with that. Do you guys think in, I don't know, maybe five, ten years' time, we'll be getting to a point where, you know, those, some of the statistics that, you know, Sohami, you've mentioned in terms of lack of participation um, among a lot of the girls you work with, do you think that's really, you know, it's going to turn on its head and we're going to suddenly see a really great rise? Or do you think it's going to take a while to kind of change various perceptions in and out of sport? I think... Um, I don't want to be too cynical, but I do think <laughs> I do think it's going to take a while because, um, as I say, I think, all for me, there's this annoying contradiction in the sector more widely, which is, you know, we really want to w- reach out to um, BME girls. Uh, that that's kind of I guess that's usually the phrase like BAME, um, but then at the same time, not really interrogating any of the questions that we've raised, even the fact like what is BAME like. Black is a colour, Asian is a continent, minority ethnic, who knows what that means? And all these things are just lumped together. I mean, you would never say, like, how do we engage white girls and that be assumed to be the end of the conversation? And so with BAME, it's like, well, which city are we talking about? Like, what locality? You know, uh, even if you say Muslim uh, women, just in East London, we have to go, okay, you're talking about Somali women, you're talking about Bengali women, you're talking about Pakistani women. What age are we talking about? What's their first language? Like, what are their hobby? There's just so many questions. And I think that this is going to be the reason it will take a long time is because I think at the moment there's just this... um, I, I, unfortunately, I think quite a lazy like recognition that this is something we should do. We should definitely have like you know we should have girls of color and doing sport. But then uh, an unwillingness to really interrogate that further and go, okay, what what might we actually be doing wrong? And and I think at the moment the onus is put on those girls and it's gone. You know, come on guys, like if you need to come and get involved, join our club, do this thing. And if we just advertise enough, um, you will join in. And I think the point is actually. It's the reason it will take a long time is that it's going to take bigger organisations to change on the inside and to, to be willing to make some quite big shifts um, and and kind of recognise that there are actually things they're doing wrong. And I, I think something that I, I've also noticed which is quite depressing is that sometimes the very tactics that are used to get girls of colour in actually reinforce a lot of those sort of stereotypes. And, um, you know, with Muslim girls in particular, we see this happen where you have sort of... Um, do just these statements made that are like, you know, uh, Muslim girls, you should get involved in sport because, you know, um, their patriarchal culture will hold them back. And it's like, say, even say, saying something like that, you've just reinforced this really racist trope of, you know, um, 
Muslim culture as patriarchal, right? What even ever Muslim culture means, because it doesn't mean anything, um, and it's not a homogenous thing. But I think to say that becomes then this really, it's like a, it's something that's uh, trying to be useful and helpful and thoughtful, but not at all. And instead, for me, I find that so exclusive. Then I feel utterly like rendered invisible. It's like oh, I'm seen to have no autonomy. I'm, I'm, you know. The kinds of things that outside of sport, I spend every day having to explain and justify myself against the media, against politicians, and these girls know that. You know what I mean? Like we have conversations. They know what the newspapers are saying. They know what politicians are saying. They're not immune to that, even though they're eleven and twelve. Um, so I think, it, unless sports organisations can really take a lot of accountability and go, okay, do you know what? We might actually not know what we're doing, and we need to listen and ask questions. I think it's going to take um, a long time. <laughs> I, I think I completely agree with that. I think for for people like us who are grassroots, but kind of on the ground doing all the work, for us to create big change, we need big supporters. And I think if the people at the top aren't willing to, to climb down and like kind of pull us up and so we can pull everyone else up and change the way the stats are and like kind of tip tip it over, but we just might as well just you know nothing nothing's going to change because we're just kind of working in very small numbers like i can count the the number of women that we've you know served mm. this year because for me it's myself and my co-founders two of us you know how much change are we really going to do for it to change birmingham starts and the midlands starts then the uk starts and then the world like come on like it's it's crazy when you think about it if there's so much power at the top where people are like literally have hours and hours and they're just like, oh, what can we do to really impact these communities? Well, the people who are in the communities, like let them do the change because they are the best place to, to do that change. Mm. Just support us when we when we knock on the door, when we send you an email, like respond and, and really tell us that you're willing to kind of to create that change with us and, and knowing and honouring the fact that we are the best people to, to create that change. Mm. And I think saying you know similar to what you said Sahima, i think it's going to be the same unless like we get that support yeah. I, I, and i'm assuming it's similar for you in the sense that we actually have we'll have so uh, i mean per month i'll get at least three or four emails from uh, around the country being like hey um saw your muslim girls friends project is there one local to me like oh can God, i join literally. and it's like wow the perception yeah. it's like oh no you don't understand like we really don't have enough staff members resources to actually be delivering on that scale so overstretched yeah. that's the thing i wish i could say like yeah of course like join you know join in or go to your local fencing yeah. club and you'll be you know Literally. able to join we, we've even got a girl who's so passionate from the maldives she's like when are you bringing borders to the maldives i'm like i don't even know the answer to that question but i wish i could and i think for us that's uh, an organizational thing that we're talking about how to to create our resources on a more digital basis where women everywhere can access the stuff we're doing and be the local leaders in their community and on that note how can people support you you know what do you guys need and what's the best way for people to get involved whether that's i don't know following you on instagram mm. or actually sort of reaching out and working with you i think so you go. No, go i think it. for for me specifically it's I wouldn't really say that there's much from the community aspect that I'd need. Like the community is there in big numbers, and in fact too big sometimes <laughs> because it's like we can't. We've we've gone from one cohort a year to like four, um, and you know we're doing the work on the ground. Where you know participants who come in and learn longboarding are now becoming coaches. Like we flew out five coaches this year to go and train with one of the best female longboarders in the world in Madrid. 
So, you know, we're doing the things with our community to really do that and keep the cycle of empowerment going where we can kind of step back and allow them to keep, you know, facilitating that change and growing it in numbers. But I think for us specifically, how people can help us is, you know, collaborations, brand support, um, sponsorship, funding, um, allowing us to keep this going. Because I think when we approach funders and they're like, oh, well, we don't see the benefit in this, mm. we don't see the value in this. And it's like, well, we've invited you to three different you know, occasions where we're doing this, you come and have a look at what it's doing to the lives of these women. Like, some of these women weren't leaving their houses because they had that much amount of anxiety in them. And you'd be surprised with the amount of things that we go through in sessions, not not like deliberately, but like how it's helping their mental health, how it's helping their confidence, their, how they socialize with one another in, in, a, in an age of tech and media where you're constantly scrolling and double tapping. Like, how do you even keep a conversation going? It's difficult for young people because we're like, I'm assuming you're a 90s baby. Yeah, like we, we still kind of had those skills before technology and media came about. So, you know, we're quite lucky in that sense. But it's difficult sometimes when you talk to young people. Anxiety is such a huge thing. Like yeah. they don't want to be in public spaces. And how would you kind of participate in sports because sports is a public thing, especially longboarding, you're out in the park. And I think if if companies and organizations, organizations just understood that, it would make it much easier for mm. us. Yeah, I think for us, a, a big part of um, what, what would be really useful right now is just almost, you know, make it, organizations make themselves open to, to taking our learnings on, basically. Because I think we've reached this point where we actually have we can see a lot of the ways in which uh, the sector are doing it wrong and um you know we've got a, a film we've got a film out called the nobody's metaphor which is about uh, one of the schools that we worked with four of the girls in that school and kind of their process from being completely you know disengaged and being like this seems to be boring what's this fencing thing to kind of absolutely flourishing you know becoming uh, there's a girl who's like i hate PE, and then she's like no i actually think i'm going to start doing like sport outside of school as well yes. You know, and it's like the and the women working at the moment are like, you know, they've even said, you know, I feel more optimistic just generally. Um, I feel more able to express myself to, to my peers. And I think it's it's that being able to get into the rooms where decisions are made and say, look, if you're gonna create um, you know, a project working with um girls of colour, let us be the people you consult, let us be the people that you kind of take to that room with you. Um, because I think too often the people who are taken to be experts aren't the people who do the grassroots mm. work. So that would be my, my kind of, you know, big kind of uh, recommendation when it comes to what we, we'd be looking for. And more platforms to share our work. You know, we've got reports, we've got research, we've got films, like the, the knowledge is there, it's just as a real, um, I think the people who have the appetite for it are almost uh, overlooking the, the work of, of these kind of small grassroots charities um, that are doing it. So yeah, and, and uh, because realistically what we're asking for is for people to make spaces that are convenient, accessible and welcoming um, and not make uh, you know it's not a, it's not a ton of difficult things that we're asking for. So it's like if we can just have the space to be listened to, honestly, I thought that would be fantastic. Well, thanks so much, guys. It's been really, really interesting to hear from you and hear about all the great work that you're doing. I will drop um, the handles of both projects and any other contact details um, that they're willing to give me um, in the episode notes. So if anyone listening does want to reach out to them and, and support them, please do. Um, and we will see you uh, at, 
for in the new year in 2020 uh, for the next set of episodes so thanks again for all your support and please keep in contact and, and you can reach us at support at womenandsport.org with any questions or inquiries you have next start next year we'll be doing a episode on uh, students because we get a lot of university questions in from people who are studying and unfortunately just because the amount we get we can't um, respond to all of you individually and help you so if you are a student and you're working on a project about gender and sport or anything to do with women and girls in sport please email support at womeninsport.org and let us know any questions and we're going to put it to our insight team and hopefully it'll be some good stuff for you to use so thanks again and we'll see you in the new year